0: All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Just give me a few minutes to get there. And um, I'm going to kind of do a little bit of an introduction, then we're going to read this text. Um, Last week I talked to you about, I call it a dichotomy. That just means there's there's two kind of opposing principles at work in our world today. And um, uh, uh, the world that has been cursed by sin, I should say. Um, they're working simultaneously, all around us, and we need to be aware of that dichotomy. I think you can see it even in Genesis chapter three, verse sixteen, where part of the curse of sin is I'm going to put in, I'm going to put enmity, contention, strife between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And then at the end of that verse, it gave us the promise of a savior that would that would uh, bruise uh, his heel would be bruised by the serpent, but his head would be um, would be crushed, the serpent's head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. So there's that promise of the Messiah, but there's also a promise that in this sin-cursed world there's going to be enmity, there's going to be division. So um, last week I talked to you about th- that division, the division that destroys. And, and uh, ultimately, I'm not going to go back and preach that message, but it is, a, it is a disunity or a disruption that works against our spiritual life and our spiritual help on the earth, and um, I believe that division is ordered and ordained by the devil, and that division is designed by the devil to to oppose and hinder the work of the Lord on the earth, um, in the lives of His children, and in the lives and and in His work through His children in the earth. And um, essentially, last week, what I want you to hear and understand is that the devil is not divided. The, They accused Jesus of casting out demons in the name of demons. And he said, if Satan is divided against itself, his house will not stand. And the enemy knows that. He knows that he can't have disunity among his own ranks or his purposes um, will be thwarted. And, And so Satan isn't divided. His kingdom is not divided. They're working in unison against the plan and purpose of God on the earth among his people, among his children. Unfortunately, the church is in a lot of ways, divided. Um, mostly by things that don't matter a whole lot. Um, mostly by things that are trivial. And I covered some of those things last week, and I'm not going to go back and rehash them. But in a lot of ways, the church has turned against itself in bickering and infighting. And, um, and I've been a part of that, and I'm, I'm ashamed of that. I'm, I, I don't want to be a part of that. I, 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 I rebuke that, I, I repent of that, I want the Lord to help me. My relationship with other pastors who don't see everything exactly like I do has helped me tremendously to have respect for them because I see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. I know they're reading from the same Bible that I read from and they have the same Holy Spirit living in them that lives in me. They love Jesus. They preach Jesus. And we, we have some differences of opinion on some things that are, that, are, that are not connected and directly related to who Jesus is and what Jesus did, just peripheral issues. And, um, and I don't, some of us are wrong about some stuff, but it might be me. And, but what I've learned to do is respect our differences and find the areas where we're in common and, and work together and labor together for the cause of Christ. I have good relationship with those men, and it has helped me tremendously in my own walk with Christ. That's the unity I believe that the Lord wants His church to have. Two verses that I kind of keyed in on last week, um, that, that if we're not careful, we wind up aiding and abetting the enemy. Um, when we lack the unity of belief and the unity of purpose that we should be finding in the Lord Jesus Christ, and those two verses are Matthew chapter twelve verse thirty, and they actually it's just Him, Jesus saying the same thing, kind of two different ways. He said, "He that is not with me in Matthew twelve thirty, he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad." And he was speaking to the Pharisees in that. The Pharisees were 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 enemies of Christ at that point they did not believe he was who he said he was that they did not believe he was the Messiah Um, they were the ones that were bent on having him um, exposed and crucified and so Jesus looked at them and said if you're not if you're if you're um, not with me you are against me if you're not gathering with me then you're scattering abroad and so that was a condemnation that was leveled against the Pharisees who were part actually of Satan's kingdom at that point because they were working in opposition to the Christ. But then he turned right around in Matthew in Mark chapter 9 verse 40 speaking to his disciples when they found a man that was casting out demons in Jesus' name. They were He was casting out demons in Jesus' name and the disciples said, we forbade him. We told him he couldn't do that because he was not part of our group. And Jesus said, turned around and rebuked them and said he that is not against us is on our part he, he, he told this is talking to his people now and, and so he's addressing um, not not that opposition that was coming against the Pharisees but the opposition or the opposition that was coming from the Pharisees but addressing the opposition that was coming among his own disciples in the sense that he's saying this guy that, that guy casting out demons in my name if he's working miracles in my name um, then, nothing that, then, then, then then nobody that sees him work can speak lightly of me. He's for us. He's with us. Um, John chapter 17 is, is a passage of Scripture that I always go back to over and over. And this has kind of become the catalyst for, for the fellowship that I have with these other pastors. We actually went through a whole kind of an identification change a few years ago um, to center us more on our purpose of being under shepherds of Christ and our, and our intent to be um, unified and seen as one. And, um, but in John chapter 17, verse 20, this is part of Jesus' um, last prayer that he prayed before he went to the cross. In verse 20, he said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He said, I'm praying for my apostles that I'm going to leave behind, but I'm not just praying for them, I'm praying for those people that are going to believe in me, because of what the apostles communicate to them. That's us. And here's his prayer. That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So Christ wants his church to have unity that revolves around him. Unity does not mean uniformity. There's a great deal of diversity. There was a great deal of diversity even among the apostles. Um, their mannerisms, their personalities, their occupations before they became apostles. There was a great deal of diversity among that group of men. But they were unified around who Christ was and what Christ did and what Christ's purpose for their life was. And that's where I believe Christ wants His church to find our unity today and who He is and what He's did, uh, what He's done for us and what His purpose is for us to be His witnesses in the earth. So that, there's a division that destroys. And that division that destroys is that division that exists within the body of Christ when we aid and abet the enemy Um, and oppose the work that Christ is trying to do in our life and through our life and through that division. But there's also a separation that saves. There's a separation that is essential for us. There's a separation, um, a division or a disunity that works for our spiritual life and for our spiritual health. And and, and that that separation is also, or I shouldn't say is also, that separation instead of being ordered and ordained by the devil is ordered and ordained by God. Um, it is his intent that we be separate, that we, be, um, that we pull away from some things for our good and for his glory and for the advancement of the gospel of Christ in the earth. And so before I jump into this text, though, can I just give you a real brief history lesson? I'm going to run through some verses really fast, all right? But I want you to sh- I show you this in action because here's what the Bible tells me. A lot of people have completely disconnected... The church from the Old Testament. That's wrong. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Nobody that's ever entered into the gates of glory has went there except through the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, nobody. Old Testament or New Testament, we all go the same way. They look ahead to Jesus, we looking back to Jesus, we all get into heaven by Jesus. Nobody ever got there by keeping the law because nobody ever kept the law but Jesus. All right. We can't disconnect. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that the things that were written about Israel were written for our admonition, the church's admonition, upon whom the ends of the earth. So there's a, somebody said it like this, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. They're not working in opposition to each other. They're working in harmony with one another. And so we can look to the Old Testament and find a bunch of illustrations. Do you know what Bible Paul preached from? Old Testament. you know what Bible Jesus preached from? Old Testament. Peter preached from Old Testament. All the apostles preached Jesus from the Old Testament. They they made him come alive through the Old Testament. So I want to show you that dichotomy, that separation at work uh, in the life of Israel, and then we're going to pull away and look at what that means for the church. Israel was born when Abraham separated, when God separated Abraham from his family and sent him to a different land. Abraham became the father of the faith. The New Testament tells us that. God said, I want you to get away from your kindred, get away from your homeland, and go to a land that I'm going to show you, and a land that I'm going to give to you and your children as an inheritance forever. Now, we know that happened, and then Israel found themselves in Egypt, Um, Seventy people went down to Egypt from Israel to be saved there Um, from the famine that was in the land, the family of Abraham. They multiplied there and became a uh, a huge multitude of people. And then there came a time, 430 years into that captivity and bondage in Egypt where they cried unto the Lord like we read about in Judges and the Lord sent a deliverer by the name of Moses and Moses led them out of Egypt. Uh, By the blood of the Lamb, picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, a picture of salvation. I want you to come out of Egypt and go to that land that I've promised you. And their inhabitants of the promised land was to I want you to go and abide in this land. I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And you're going to shine the glory of God for the world to see from this nation, specifically from Jerusalem. And you're going to make him known to others. But let me walk you through this history lesson real quick. Exodus chapter 33 verse 6. Just before they were were supposed to go into the promised land. um, Moses said, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? And then listen to what he said. So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. So God is telling them, My design for you is to separate you unto myself so that you'll be different from all the nations of the earth. Leviticus chapter 26, when God gave them the law, He said, You shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people, that you should be mine. Deuteronomy, essentially Moses' last will and testament, reiterating everything that they'd been through after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, I' um, giving them final instructions before he leaves and before they depart from the promised land under Joshua's command. Deuteronomy 7:2, "When the Lord thy God shall deliver them, that's those enemies of the promised land. When He shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. The separation was going to occur when they went into the promised land. When they got into the promised land and conquered as God told them that they would in Joshua chapter 23 verse 7, Joshua warned the people about those that remained, that you come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. Joshua is warning the nation of Israel about blending themselves together with other people, serving their gods, swearing by their gods, making covenants with them. Judges chapter 2, after that great conquest of the promised land, that awful period of judges came. The Bible, God is rebuking them in this passage of scripture. He said, "I, I told you that you shall make no league with the inhabitants of the land. Make no league with the inhabitants of the land. You shall throw down their altars. And then God asked them this question, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? the rest of the history of Israel throughout the judges and throughout the kings was them repeatedly resorting to that lack of separation between themselves and the nations of the world they were constantly making covenant making league they were intermarrying the Bible talked about Solomon Um, loved he loved many strange women and those women turned his heart away from his God and he bowed and served and worshiped their altars just like God told them would happen led to a divided nation the divided nation began to fight itself, literally like the church is doing today, until they actually destroyed each other. Um, the nation of Israel was carried away into captivity. Judah lasted another 136 years because they had some seasons of revival, but they were still infighting, still bickering, still setting themselves in alliance against each other instead of against the, 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 the kingdom of Satan uh, in the world. And Jeremiah, last prophet, before they were driven away into captivity, Um, God told Jeremiah, Therefore thus saith the Lord, If thou return, then I will bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And listen to what he said. "If if, If thou take forth the precious from the vile, separate that which is good from that which is bad, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return thou not unto them. You understand what God is telling Jeremiah? My people have completely turned against me. They're not hearing your words. They're not listening to what you have to say. It's time for you to separate yourself from those people. Let them come to where you are, but you don't go to where they are. And God separated Jeremiah. And through Jeremiah, God separated Daniel and and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Zerubbabel and all those others that we read that follow that, that Babylonian captivity. God said, you've got to now separate yourself from my own disobedient people. Let them come to you, but don't you go to them. And then finally in Ezra chapter 10, after that 70 years of captivity, Ezra was setting forth the spiritual condition of the nation. He was the spiritual leader at that particular time. But the Bible says in Ezra chapter 10 verse 11, Now therefore make confession unto the Lord God of your fathers, And do his pleasure. And listen to what he told them. This is after they came out of captivity. Again, he says, and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. Now, they literally had to divorce themselves from from those women that had not been followers of Israel's God. They literally had to separate themselves in order to protect the purity of the nation as they began to rebuild. The point is this. In the whole history of Israel, God said, Distinguish yourselves from the people of this world. The question is, does God still intend to use that pattern in His church today? And I believe the answer to that very simply is yes. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. And, and, and Paul, Paul is writing to a church that has let the world influence it, all right? And you, all you got to do is go back and read 1 Corinthians, and you'll find out that the Corinthian church had a lot of problems, but its biggest problem was that it was mixing and mingling with the world that was around it. It was not distinguishing itself from them. It was fitting in. The world was creeping into the church. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says this. Verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what, what concord, what, what, what covenant, what agreement hath Christ with Belial that would be another prince of demons or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel or an unbeliever and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God as God has said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people Now, if you got a Bible that does like my Bible does, are all those words capitalized? If they are, that means it's a quotation from the Old Testament. So Paul is using Old Testament scriptures to address the New Testament church, and God says to the New Testament church, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Verse 17, still capital letters, still quoting from the Old Testament. Wherefore... Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So Paul's quoting Old Testament Scripture and reminding the church of their need to be separated from all the other peoples of the world, to be distinct, distinguished from all the peoples of the world. And I would submit to you that the biblical word that we use for, sancti- for separation in the New Testament church is the word sanctification. Theologically, that word uh, means to be set apart. To be sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be distinct. Every time you read in the Bible where God said, Be holy. For I am holy, that is speaking of the sanctification, the setting apart of the church, of the people of God, to be like their God, to be distinct, to be distinguished, to not look like, act like, talk like um, the world that is around them. The only way that we will ever be a witness to the world, the only way we will ever save ourselves and save the world around us is for us to be distinct for us to be distinguished, for us to be set apart, for us to be separated, for us to be holy as He is holy. Do you understand what I'm saying? We will not change the world by blending with them. We cannot change our culture by looking like it. God has called us to a separation. He's called us to a sanctification. When when Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, Take heed unto yourself and unto your doctrine." He said, Timothy, you better be careful about the way that you live your life and the things that you speak. For in doing so, you will both save yourself and those that hear you. He's telling Timothy, you've got to be different. You can't blend. Take heed to yourself and take heed to your doctrine. And if you do that, you save yourself from destruction. You save those that hear you from destruction so separation that saves I'm gonna give you four ways that we I think we've been called to be separated as the people of God as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the first is pretty simple I'm not gonna dwell here very long I'm not gonna dwell on any of them very long um, because it's pretty cut and dried it's pretty plain to me from the scriptures that we have to separate ourselves from sinful practices I'm telling you we have made too many excuses for our sin and there is no excuse for it Um, we have we have we have latched ourselves on to what we would consider little sins and as long as we're not guilty of big offenses then we're all right in the eyes of god we, we talked about it this morning in sunday school when you start compromises in little areas uh, it'll grow and pretty soon you'll be compromising and compromising in big areas children of Israel didn't drive out the inhabitants of the land they said we'll just make them pay taxes and they can stay and pretty soon they begin bowing down to their gods and serving their idols and marrying strange women and all of a sudden you got a whole mess on your hands now because they look like the nations that they were supposed to drive out we've got to separate ourselves from sinful practices all you got to do is jump down one more verse in 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 this is where Paul is nailing it down I think it should have been probably connected Right there with that 18th verse. Having therefore these promises. What promises? The promises that if you will come out from among them and be separate, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I ain't going to stay here long, but listen to me. God did not save us so that we can continue to wallow in sin. He didn't. Period. It's all over the New Testament. Now I'm going to tell you why some preachers are not preaching that today. Because they're afraid they're going to be accused of preaching a works-based salvation. Can I tell you this morning that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. But we are his workmanship, and we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Any man that is in Christ Jesus is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Romans chapter 6, Paul said, How can you who are saved that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you have been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, and resurrected in Christ, then you have been called to live in newness of life. He said, Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. There's no excuse for it. I don't care what anybody tells you. There's no excuse for us to continue in rebellion against God. If he said it's wrong, it's wrong. If he said we ought not to, we ought not to. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 19 makes it very clear. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He has called us to come out of our sin and to live separately. And as a preacher. Ain't none of us sinless. I know that. I know that about my own life. But, but I'm telling you, as a spirit-filled Christian, which I'm assuming that all of you are too as well, when I sin, I feel bad about it. When I sin, I feel guilty about it. I'm not, pay, I'm not making peace with my sin. I do my very best to live at war with it every day. When I see it, I try to crucify it because that's what the Bible tells me to do. When I see it, I try to put it off and put on the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what the Bible tells me to do. I ain't everything that I ought to be, but I also ain't everything that I used to be and I ain't what I'm going to be because Christ is working in me a continual work of sanctification, telling me to lay aside some things, also telling me to pick up and put on some things that transforms me into the image of Christ. That is the New Testament message throughout the New Testament. Stop wallowing in sin. Anybody that disagrees with that doesn't know the Bible. Alright? I don't care who they are. Anybody that disagrees with that don't know the Bible. And it's very likely they don't know Jesus. Separate yourself from false teachers. And you better believe that the devil has planted... False teachers in the visible church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has always inserted deception. You hear me? There, there have always been two voices speaking into the world the voice of God and the, and the voice of the enemy. Started in the garden. God said, Did God really say? And Satan inserted that doubt. And Adam and Eve listened the voice of the enemy rather than the voice of God and were deceived and fell into sin same things happening today every time the voice of God speaks the voice of the enemy is going is to do his very best to counter that you, do you know that Satan tempted Jesus with the word of God the, the, the difference is Jesus knew the word of God better than the devil knew the word of God and he wouldn't let it be twisted out of its context and with every temptation Satan offered him from the word, Jesus offered a rebuttal from the word and clarified what God meant when he said it. If you don't want to be deceived by the devil, you've got to know what God said and believe what God said and apply what God said and beware of people that are teaching things that are contrary to the whole counsel of Of the Word of God. Um, Let me show you a passage in Acts chapter 20. I'm, I'm, I'm dwelling here a little longer and I'm gonna dwell on the rest of it, but Acts chapter 20. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said, beginning in verse number 28. He said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, he's talking to the pastors now, at the churches that he's leaving behind to go on his missionary, to continue on his missionary journeys. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And I believe that's directed at every pastor in every church all across the world, including me. My responsibility is to feed the church which Jesus purchased with his own blood. Feed it with his word. Why? Because Paul said this, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you Not sparing the flock. They're going to come and, and do their very best to destroy the work that God has started here. Listen to verse 30. Also of your own selves, men out of your own congregations, out of your own fellowships will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified, set apart. The Apostle Paul knew that there would be false teachers who would come in right behind him and twist the Word of God out of its context and use it for their own purposes. If they were that prolific then, they're just as or more prolific now in the world that we live in. What do we do about it? Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. You see what Paul told them to do? After that book, he said, listen, there there are people that are going to come in and teach you things that are different than what I taught you. Mark them and avoid them. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise, if any man teaches you anything other than what I have taught you, and consent not to wholesome words, if they do not give consent to what I said, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, that God intends for His church to be godly, holy, set apart, sanctified, if any man does that, if he, doesn't, if he teaches something different, if he won't consent to what has been said through the Lord Jesus Christ, if he won't teach the doctrines of godliness and holiness, what does Paul say to do? He said, that man is proud, knowing nothing but dotes about questions and stripes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And what does Paul say to do? From such withdraw thyself. Separate yourself from false teachers. Don't give them an ear. Now I'm telling you this because that world's full of them right now. And you'll hear a lot of what they say that might sound good and a lot of it will appeal to our fleshly ears. It'll tickle them. It'll make, it, it, it'll, it'll make us feel more comfortable about sin. It'll make us feel more comfortable about mixing and mingling with the world. Paul said you, got, you need to stay away from. And listen, I can call some names this morning, but I ain't. I, I, I'm just telling you, you need to be careful who you listen to. You need to be careful what you read. Just because it sounds good does not mean it is biblical. And I'm going to throw this caution out there, and I've got to move on from this. There's a lot of people coming along teaching a lot of new stuff right now. If, if you just go back and look at the historical record of the church and what the church has historic, historically believe to be the orthodox doctrine you'll find a great deal of unity there and when we start pulling away from that and, and start listening to new things that are coming out we're going to get ourselves in trouble be careful there are folks taking and twisting the word of God and make it say all kinds of things that it doesn't say today and they're, and they're pulling out little tiny words listen I've all been listening to it the homosexual agenda has hijacked the church in a lot of places and so they're, they're pulling these verses out of scripture and they're saying, oh, this, this particular word, and they give a definition of that word, means that a man um, cannot rape a young boy. It's, it's, it's not forbidden homosexuality, it's forbidden man-boy sex. And, that, and then they're justifying it. Um, I, I heard one recently give an exposition of what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah, and they pulled one verse out of context, I believe it's from the book of Ezekiel, and said the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality, it was it was a lack of hospitality. And there's a verse in Ezekiel that suggests that they were inhospitable to guests. They were. They tried to rape them. But go read the book of Jude. and Go read the New Testament book of Jude, who is the half-biological brother of Jesus. And Jude told us what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah and why God destroyed them. And it was specifically about their sexual immorality. But people, they'll find these one or two little words. And they'll redefine and twist and subvert and begin to teach you. You can live, you, no, you don't have to come out of that. You can live like that. Paul said, withdraw yourself from such. Second John chapter 10, the apostle John says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, that doctrine that I have taught you, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed now I'm, I'm I'm a move from this because I'm getting long-winded again but l- let me let me warn you about a few things that are at work in the world today number one is the prosperity gospel be careful about prosperity gospel preachers the Bible has made it clear Jesus made it clear that if you are a Christian you are going to suffer persecution in this world that you live in you're going he said you can be of good cheer though because I've overcome the world Um, It's not always going to go our way. We're not going to always get everything we want. We're living in contradiction to the world that's around us. It's going to create tension. It's going to create hardship. It's going to create suffering. Be careful of the prosperity gospel. That name it, claim it. That Jesus wants you to have it. The only reason you don't is because you don't have the faith that you need. I'm telling you, watch out for the prosperity gospel. It's dangerous. It appeals to our flesh. Watch out for people that appeal to fleshly lust and that justify sin of any kind. Watch out for people that deny the lordship of Christ. And by saying deny the lordship of Christ, that don't mean they don't believe Jesus. They, they'll preach and teach Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He came and died on the cross, gave but, but they deny him lordship in their life. He's their Savior, not their Lord. You. you he is our Savior and our Lord. This is going to be a little bit harder. Separate ourselves from erring Christians. It is, it is possible for a true believer to get caught up in deception and sin. And we ought to do what we can to correct them and convert them. The Bible said in, in the book of James um, that he which converts a brother from the erring of his ways... Um, have saved a soul from death and covered a multitude of sins. Um, Galatians chapter, chapter 6 says, If any of you be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore him. Do it in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. You go all through the Word, and the Bible tells us that it's possible for us to get off track. Peter got off track. You know what Paul did? He rebuked him because he said he deserved to be rebuked, but he's, he, was, he was trying to identify himself more with the Jews than he was the church. And I rebuked him to his face because he needed to be rebuked. But when we can't convert an erring Christian when you have talked to them about their errant ways if they persist in their rebellion against the word of God the Bible makes it very clear that we are to break fellowship with them. Not join an alliance with them not agree with them not pacify them not pat them on the back but to break fellowship with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11 Paul said now I have written to you not to keep company if any, man be called a, if any man that is called a brother, if any man who claims to be a Christian is a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, know not to eat. Paul said, I want you to not keep company with them. Don't even eat a meal with them if they persist in their rebellion. Now you can labor with folks. You can talk with them, you can, try to, you can try to reach them, you can try to correct them, but you cannot tell them it's all right, it's going to be all right. Paul said, break away, withdraw. 2 Se- Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, I'm trying to hurry. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which you received of us. 2 Thessalonians three fourteen. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle... Note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. This ain't popular preaching today, but church discipline is biblical. It is biblical. That if somebody is living in open and willful, rebellious sin, and that identifies themselves as a Christian and a member of a church, we have a responsibility to try to convert them from the error of their ways, but if they refuse to be converted, the Bible says that you bring them before the church and you disfellowship them, you treat them as a heathen until they are converted that they may be ashamed of the life that they live and in the last point separate yourself from worldly ways we're not supposed to blend in the things that we value are not the things that the world values the things that we believe are not the things that the world believes The things that we love are not supposed to be the same things that the world loves. The things that we serve are different than what the world serves. John chapter 15 verse 19, Jesus said this, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 11 through 13 Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness Rather reprove them For it is a shame even to speak of those things Which are done of them in secret But all things that are reproved Are made manifest by the light For whatsoever doth make manifest is light You know what Paul is telling us? He's saying come out of the world and be separate You don't believe what they believe. You don't love what they love. You don't value what they value. You don't serve what you serve. They deserve to be reproved. They they deserve to be rebuked for their error. And if you will be who God has called you to be, your life will show them their error. Whatsoever, Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. The way that you live your life can reveal the sin in the world's life or you can help them cover it up. But I believe the Scripture tells us that the world is dark enough. We need to turn a light on. Read the same context of John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world. Read it it in all of its context. Read what follows that. Jesus said, The world loves darkness. They don't want to come to the light because they love darkness. But we have been called to be the light of the world because the light exposes the darkness to what it is. James chapter 4 verse 4, You adulterers and adulteresses. Now James is writing to believers. And he said, Know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God Whosoever therefore would be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now listen to me. There are too many Christians today that are trying to make peace with a world that is the antithesis of what we're supposed to stand for. They're pacifying and soothing and doing their very best to make people comfortable in their sin. That is not what Christ has called us to do. You'll never win the world by being like the world. You'll never win the world by seeking the world's approval. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. Jesus, the Bible said He was a friend of sinners. But you understand the difference in Jesus? Is that He did not influence them. They did not influence Him, I should say, to participate in their sin. They didn't even influence Him To say it's all right that you sin. When people met Jesus in the Bible. When they came to Jesus looking for answers and looking for truth. They didn't change Jesus. Jesus changed them. And that's not what's happening in our world today. The way the church is trying to make friends with the world in many cases today. Is not changing the world. It's changing the church. That's the direct opposite of what Jesus did. People always use that passage of scripture about the woman called an adultery. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of issues with that passage, and I'm not going to go into it. But I will remind you that Jesus did not justify that woman's sin. In fact, he said, my, my, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to the world so the world could be saved. That's why I came. But when he told that woman, I'm not, I don't condemn you. But he also said, go and sin no more. And if you follow the narrative of Scripture, that, that woman became a believer. That woman laid her life down at the feet of Jesus. It changed her. That's the goal. Not to become like the world so that we can win the world, but to be different from the world so that we win the world. So let me, let me just conclude. There is a division that destroys us. It is when the deceiver, it is when the accuser, it is when the devil himself weasels his way into the church and divides us up. And as long as we're biting and devouring one another, we're very little danger to the devil. You hear me? When we're biting and devouring each other in the church, we're very little danger to the devil and we're very little help to Christ. That's the division that destroys. If we can learn to rally around Jesus and His Word and His purpose for our life, the devil will lose. That's imperative for the church and our nation today. We've got to come together. Now, there may be some folks that we have to separate ourselves from that are teaching contrary to the doctrine. But I'm here to tell you, I believe every church that I know of in this community preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They ain't my enemies. They ain't my friends. They're not working against me. They're working with me. God's using them in their corner. He's using us in our corner. But we're all in His kingdom. There are some churches I can't affiliate with. There are a couple in Waycross that I couldn't have anything to do with because I believe they're teaching doctrines that are far contrary to what the Word of God teaches. Celebrating and affirming things that I believe the Word of God condemns outright. I I cannot bind myself together with them. But everybody who believes what I believe is about Jesus, who He is and what He did, Everybody that believes what my purpose in the world is, is to reach the world for Christ, not conform to the world, but to be separated, to be distinct, to be different from them. I can bind together with them for a common purpose. So there's a division that destroys and then there's a separation that saves. And that separation that saves happens when the Christian and the church is truly set apart for the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom. When we're truly sanctified then we become the visible representation of Christ on the earth. Does that make sense? When we separate ourselves, we become a visible representation of Christ on the earth. The lost were drawn to Jesus because He was different and because He made them different. Instead of dividing ourselves against each other, we've got to separate ourselves from sinful practices, from false teachers, from erring Christians, and from worldly ways. And then, Christ can and will, I believe, save us from destruction, and He'll use us to save many in the world as well. But we have to come out and be separated. Personal holiness. Now, I know it's been taught in the past that that pertains to a particular hairstyle. I don't believe that's correct. It pertains to the way that we live our lives every day in distinction from the way the world lives its life. If we'll do that, I believe we can save ourselves, save the church, and save the lost because we become Christ to the world. Let's stand together. I think, brother, you going to come sing? Lord, I pray that your word has gone forth and done that that you sent it to do this morning and I believe it has because it says that it will I understand Lord this is one of those teachings that has been often neglected by the church and our culture today we've tried too hard to be people pleasers not hard enough to be God pleasers We've attempted to make peace with the world instead of shining the light into the darkness. In order to avoid persecution we've compromised. We've hidden even. And I pray that you'd forgive us of that. Your desire for us as your people is to be sanctified. You've made us holy by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've cleansed us of our sins, and we're grateful for that. But that's not where your work ends. That's just where it begins. I pray that you would continue to work in us, to call us out, to separate us, to make us who you would have us to be. Add your blessing to this invitation. We'll give you glory to anything and everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amazing grace, how, how so sweet, sweet the sound that saved you sing with him. a rich life.
0: said <clears throat> let me tell you a little short story this this week we built a pool for an older man and his wife, and I can tell you I knew what the I knew what the lady's name was because her name was listed on the contract. When I got to the house, I saw another name on the building. I put two and two together. weren't they not married? So anyway, I loved the old fella. He's in his 70s. Friendly as he could be. Um, light to cut up. We had a good time working around him. Every opportunity I had, and he, he'd slip a few in every now and then, but it wasn't anything that offended me in any sense of the word. But anyway, he, um, every, every opportunity I'd got, I'd slip a word in about the Lord. Say something about the church talk about a pastor friend of mine, some stuff that he was going through. The second day I went back, and by myself I always go back the second day, and he'd come out here to me and made small talk for a minute, and he said, you a minister? <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. And he said, man, I'm sorry for the way. I said, you got to apologize to me. I said, I'm, you didn't offend me. And he said, can I talk to you about something real personal? And I said, yeah. And, um, He said, Well, me and my wife, and he called her his wife, we've been together about 10 years, but we ain't married. And we've been convicted about it. And it's about to eat us alive. And um, he said, Can you help us? I said, Yeah, I'll help you. And I asked him some questions about his personal relationship with Christ and hers. We talked for a few minutes about that and I said I tell you what if you'll sit down with me and let's have some conversation and some counseling both of their he told me the whole story his previous wife is dead and gone, her husband is dead and gone and he said his is his worst to me I, don't, I know this is wrong and I don't want to leave this world with it being wrong I'm gonna make it right, and I said, brother, anybody trying to take a step to the Lord and get where they need to be with Him, I'm gonna help them all I can get there. And so, I'm building pools and marrying folks. <laughs> okay. But I but I, I said that to say this: if you live out your life for Christ before people, they'll they can distinguish that there's something different going on there, and they have a they have a hunger that people I think in their heart of hearts they want to be reconciled with God because they know that there is a life after this one um, you know he said that he had asked a couple of pastors that they didn't know and they had turned them down for whatever reason I'm not condemning those pastors for doing that I told him in fact that my, my position on that has kind of changed through the years and, and so everybody's got to come to their own convictions but I said if, if this is for you to get close to Jesus That I want to do. I'm in favor of doing anything I can do to help you get close to Him. All right. Be who God's called you to be. He'll use you. Um, He done sent me messages. How far is your church away from us? It's a long way. I'm like, He's like, We coming. And I'm like, You come on, Mr. Jack. You come on. Let the Lord use you. He wants to change the world. He does. It's not His will that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. That's the work that he wants to do in us and the work that he wants to do through us. Lord, You, I thank you for every opportunity that you give us to serve you. There's nothing that we could ever do that will repay you for what you've done for us. Nothing. It's by grace that we're saved. We don't merit it. We don't earn it. We never can. We never have. We never will. And I'm persistently, constantly amazed That you can take, oh, wretched sinners, justify them in the eyes of the Father, and send them out into the world to be a witness. And I pray that you would do that for the church. The hope of our world really is in the church fulfilling its mission on the earth. Help us to do that well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.